faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. People believe tall buildings at a single bound. The instant of Krypton is now the man of steel. Superman! Welcome to Superman Forever Radio. I am your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder, and as you can see, we're coming out on a Monday this week to recognize a very special holiday in the world of Superman, Miracle Monday. So I've set an extra place, and to help me with these festivities is the host of Superman in the Bronze Age, as well as Charlie's Geekcast, and he was a special guest host for our coverage of Hell on Earth over a New 52 Adventures of Superman, which will probably never end. My partner in crime for the 2013 Metropolis Superman Celebration, Mr. Charlie Niemeyer. Uh, Festive Miracle Monday, everybody. Festive Miracle Monday. We don't know what we're celebrating or why, but we're going to set that extra place at the table. Well, that's what it said. I have a comic that says that, says that and it never explains what it is, so that's what I just say. Yep. That's, I just follow that, and it seems to work out well. Yeah. Well, Everyone then, seems to know it. <laughs> we just don't know why. Yeah, but we're <laughs> going to find out tonight, or today, whenever you're downloading this. Um, now, it's odd, Charlie, because tr- Superman in the Bronze Age and Superman Forever Radio, we came out around the same time. So how did you end up in Superman podcasting? Um, well, actually, it started with um, some with a Spider-Man podcast, ironically. They, um, John Wilson and, oh, what's his name? Zach Henderson had a show called uh, Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man Podcast. Oh, yeah. And they had this thing where if anyone wanted to come on to be a guest on the show to let them know. So I said, hey, I'll do it. What do I need to do? And, you know, they told me I needed to get a microphone of some kind and Skype would be helpful. So I got all the stuff and then I sat there and they went on a hiatus. Now, this hiatus they went on, they never actually technically came back from the hiatus, although they did record episodes. I did end up recording, like, couple years later recording like two episodes with these with them and those probably won't be seen anytime soon but that's beside the point when i recorded uh, when i had all the stuff i was like you know what i've got all this stuff and at the time i was writing a um i was actually writing reviews for the jack kirby issues of jimmy olsen for the superman homepage, and i was like you know what talking might be easier than writing so I decided to just do my own podcast. And I looked at, um, when I was first looking, I don't believe you had premiered quite yet. No, we. I mean, we were literally neck and neck. Yeah. We were within a few weeks of each other. Yeah, you were like, what, Halloween? And I was like a couple weeks after that, I think. Yep. Um, so you hadn't come out yet. And I knew there was Superman fan. And I, I was listening to From Crisis to Crisis. And I thought, well... I also like the Bronze Age, and the Bronze Age is one of my favorite eras, and so I will do a show about that. So I decided to go ahead and do that, and I didn't do a very good job when I started out. Um, Instead of, you know, making a catalog of episodes so I'd have some leeway in case something came up, I was like, well, I finished the episode, let's post it. And it started off weekly, and it didn't go very – it stayed weekly for a while. But it was I was doing three books a month by myself, or three books an episode by myself. So I had to cut back. But 
that's how I got into podcasting. That's <laughs> the long, long-winded way of saying that's how I did it. <laughs> of course, you're you're talking to the guy that will have a three-week lead time and burn it up easily. Oh yeah, I still do that too. <laughs> I had that two-month lead time when I was just posting episodes of uh, other people's podcasts and um, OPP getting yeah <laughs> and getting the uh, website set. Which, by the way, now that we're on your show, I can formally say thank you. Dave is quite the webmaster, folks, and he he helped set me up both for Charlie's Geekcast and for Superman in the Bronze Age. And I, I cannot thank you enough, sir. I, I my pleasure, but I'm going to give you give credit more to WordPress than myself. Okay, well, you set up WordPress for me. <laughs> you set up all the stuff I needed to set up the WordPress site. Anyway, so that's how that happened. But I bring the host of Superman in the Bronze Age on um, because we're talking about something Bronze Age, very Bronze Age related. The Elliot S. Magan book, Superman Miracle Monday, which according to the Indicia here, saw its first printing in June 1981. And as far as I know, it was only released as a, as a paperback. I don't know that there's a hardcover out there. I don't think so. But, I haven't found any evidence of one. No. Uh, it doesn't make sense. I mean, judging by what they included in here, which were pictures from Superman 2, this, this was kind of easily geared towards those people who are leaving the movie and want to make a quick purchase, even though it has nothing to do with that movie. Yeah. That's, it's a shame they couldn't do that. Yeah. I mean, Arm Puzo. <laughs> yeah, but this is, this is very steeped in, in bronze age goodness uh, to give you the, oh, yeah. the basic breakdown. And this is directly from Wikipedia. I'm not going to do a full on. We'll go chapter by chapter and give a little <laughs> bit of fill in. But basically, Samael, ruler of hell, or Satan if you really want to call it what it is, sends his greatest agent, C.W. Saturn, to Earth to destroy Superman morally. Basically, to just corrupt him completely. Saturn is able to enter our dimension thanks to Lex Luthor using a form of magic to escape prison, leaving a hole between worlds. At the same time, Kristen Wells, a journalism student from the far future, uses time travel technology. This is all about science! <laughs> she uses time travel technology to arrive in the present for the purpose of finding out the origin of the holiday known as Miracle Monday, of which the only fact that is known is somehow it is somehow connected to Superman. And it was on a Monday. And it was on a Monday. And, you know, it was on the same day that Solomon Grundy was born. Uh, she infiltrates... That's the miracle, folks. Yeah. <laughs> no, Solomon Grundy has nothing to do with this story. No, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just... <laughs> she infiltrates Clark Kent... She infiltrates Clark Kent's circle of friends by becoming Lois Lane's assistant. Unfortunately, because she does not belong in the present, Saturn is able to possess her. And then Saturn then proceeds to cause worldwide havoc, taunting Superman that the only way for him to stop it would be by killing its host, thus making him break his vow against killing. Saturn even reveals Superman's secret identity to the world to further drive him into desperation. Ultimately, however, Superman refuses to kill Kristen, even if it means that he would have to spend the rest of his life battle battling Saturn. At that moment, because of the rules that bind demons, because I didn't know they had rules, Saturn is defeated and forced to grant Superman a wish. He asks that everything that happened since Saturn's arrival be undone, and it is granted with Saturn being, with Saturn then being banished to back to hell. However, a lingering memory of the events remained within the souls of humanity, causing them to begin celebrating the day every year on the third Monday of May, starting the Miracle Monday tradition. And then Kristen returns to the future to reveal that fact to the public. 
Um, that's fairly accurate. Uh, I think the description of the ending is a little bit off. Yeah, it's a little... It's a little yeah. more vague, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's... Um... Oh, I don't want to step into your notes, but it uh, the, this book does get brought into comic continuity in a few ways, but I'm sure we'll get into that later. Well, Kristen, Kristen Wells became Superwoman. Uh-huh. And Superman 400 is all about uh, Miracle Monday mm-hmm. at various times. You want to talk about Superman 400 before we jump into the book? Or is it even- uh, I, 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 I can. I don't know. I don't really have, have I haven't read it in a while. Okay, I didn't know if you had. I didn't know if you had any any additional information. Oh, no, I was just saying the whole, that whole issue is all about. I mean, I read that before I read this, and they have no idea what Miracle Monday is anymore in that book than they do in at the end of this issue of this book. So, do you think that this this story was intentionally mentioned as continuity? That's right. That's right. Because it's the the people that Superman actually shows up, and they know it's Superman. Mm-hmm. I forgot about. Okay, that's the story I was trying to remember. Yeah, the whole Superman 400 is done by Elliot S. Magan also. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that this was necessarily intended to be part of continuity, but it you can obviously fit it because you just happen to have a Bronze Age writer. Um, and you kind of have the resetting of the continuity, so to speak, at the end. Right, and and you've got all the Bronze Age beats. Yeah, you do. So, <laughs> so it it could totally fit in the continuity without too much trouble. If I wouldn't mind seeing it fit in the continuity or drawn in somewhere. Well, I'm trying to look to see if Julius Schwartz had any editorial on the book itself. I don't think so. Part of the reason I believe that Elliot went into the doing the novels was to get kind of away from the editorial ship. Which is odd because, as you said, it has all the beats of a Bronze Age comic book issue. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. That might have been with the first book. I'm not sure what the deal was with the second one. They, they might have... Because if you've read... Have you read Last Son of Krypton? I have not. Um, I actually okay. have it, but I have not sat down to read it. Okay. That, to me... It, I mean, it still definitely fits in and has still some of the beats... But this one definitely seems to be more in line with a Superman-type story than Last Son of Krypton does. Last Son of Krypton tries to make a few extra changes with the origin and some... It's, the Last Son of Krypton seems to me to be more of a Lex Luthor book. I can see that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, it, it seems like he's trying to do more of his own trying to do more of his own thing with that book this one definitely feels more in line with the comics so maybe he maybe schwartz did have something or maybe just the fact that the first one did so well that they were like you know what we want to make sure that this fits in line with the comics also well, they're probably i'm trying to i won't be able to get to it I'm trying to remember when superman less than a krypton was published 78 with the it came out with the first movie and this one would have come out with the second one. Right. They they were probably more prepared for the phenomenon. Yeah. And so That's they right. wanted to create that. It's not unreasonable to think they wanted to create that segue into the comics. Let's see. Wow, it also feels thicker. 
In fact, it is by about 30 pages. Dang. Um, just pulled it out. Uh, the book, I mean. Um, <laughs> it was uh, First printing was December 78. So, yeah, right around... They were coming out around the same time. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I did not know that. Um, so let's... Well, that, let, hmm? Yeah. I was just going to say that was kind of the point. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that's kind of the basic overview. What we will do is let's go to a promo. And then when we come back, we will jump into the full on into the book. Okay. The Bronze Age of Comics. An era largely ignored as far as Superman goes. And an era that some consider to still be part of the Silver Age. Sure, a lot of people know about the Kryptonite Nevermore storyline, where all the Kryptonite on Earth is turned to iron and Clark Kent goes from a newspaper reporter to a TV reporter. Then there are the Alan Moore stories, for the man who has everything and whatever happens to the man of tomorrow. But in an era that lasted 15 years, surely there's more to the Bronze Age than that, right? Well, my name is Charlie Niemeyer, and every other week, I shine the spotlight on this long-overlooked era of Superman in the Bronze Age. Featuring such stories as the return of Jonathan Kent, two meetings with the Amazing Spider-Man, the Phantom Zone miniseries, the enlarging of Krypton, and more. Plus, J. David Weider also joins in to take a look at Superboy's Bronze Age adventures. So join in the fun at www.supermanandthebronzeage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So we are back, and before we jump full into Miracle Monday, we are going to take a brief little discussion, not a full-on coverage of very, Thursday. Very brief. We have very brief of Superman Volume 1, number 293 from 1975, which is The Miracle of Thirsty Thursday, which has a similar plot where Joanne Jamie, or Joan Jamie... Uh, from 15 centuries in our future, comes back to figure out the mystery of the holiday, Thirsty Thursday. And we were kind of talking off air. For some reason, this story reads extremely ridiculously. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, And you had asked why it's so different. Um, Well, one, I would think... Well, it's it's also written by Elliot S. Magan. One... Uh, I would say it's probably because maybe deadline prob- pressure. Uh, also, there's about, s- what's this, 81? So if you figure he probably started writing this one in 80, you're looking at probably five more years worth of experience as a writer. Uh, plus, he had to fit the entire thing into a kid's comic in like 14 pages, 17 pages. Well, that kind of hits on something that I, that I was thinking about. Yeah, I mean, it is... It's an 18-page story. Well, it's 18 pages of comic. I don't know if the full... No, it's actually 18 pages of story. But you said, you know, it's a kid's comic. This was when comics code was still in effect. So some of the material that you're seeing in in this book would not pass muster on a standard Superman comic. No, especially um, back then, because, I mean, we're, we're talking about heaven and hell in this, and they couldn't even mention religion. No. Well, just well, then the the opening chapter alone would have like gotten a rejection. Julia Schwartz would have been like, "No, let me scoot this all the way in the trash can." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but well, let's let's jump into that first chapter, which I mean, okay. it begins with a little journal entry from Kristen that isn't very relevant, just her living in the past. But we begin with Thanksgiving, where Jonathan Kent has this dream that a version of Superboy who lacks any empathy at all grows to take over the world 
and he awakens to find Clark is looking at this dead grasshopper, which Jonathan uses to explain the entire balance of nature. It was uh, jarring, to say the least. Yeah, well, when I first read it, I was like, oh, he's having it, cool dreams about his son, and then it, it starts like, you know, <laughs> the robbers he tries, he goes to capture, you think he's going to capture, uh, float up to the surface, dead. Yeah. And it's like, um... <laughs> it just got real. <laughs> I, I know this isn't a comic book, but what is Megan doing? <laughs> but... Yeah, silly me. I should have known. Well, you also have a scene where at at one point Pa Kent decides that maybe it's not a bad idea to dig up some kryptonite and kill his son. Yeah, which ends up terrifying with a terrifying ending because he's got a shovel digging it up, and Clark decides to get his hands on the shovel. Yeah, and all he can say is, "I wasn't going to," and that was all he had a chance to say before the shovel came at Jonathan's face. Yeah. And it's like, wow. <laughs> and the way it was written, it, it, I didn't know until afterwards where the dream actually began. Because mm-hmm. it just smoothly goes in. Because I guess he dreams part of the day, and then it segues perfectly into the future. It's It was, yeah, it got my attention. Wow. Um, and then you get the entire, kind of the theme of the story with the whole grasshopper, that you have this delicate balance of nature, or the circle of life, if you wish. Uh, and, you know, my thought process originally as I was reading through it was, wouldn't Superboy, something like that, tip off the balance just by its very nature? Mm-hmm. Which, we know that that ends up becoming part of the resolution at the end. That kind of answered my own question. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good when you can do that. Well, you know, it was a question I had at the beginning that got answered in the end. That's yeah. all I could really ask. Um, what you want in a book. Yeah, <laughs> I I have to admit the way it's written too. Um, part of the, and this is just a small comment on the previous book. Part of the thing I don't like about Last Son of Krypton is that none of it seems to come from Superman's point of view. So when I first read started reading this, I was like, oh, here we go. It's just going to be the same because this whole thing comes from Pa's point of view, or Jonathan's point of view. And you're wondering what Clark's thinking, because it seems a little. Because you, well, when you look at the comics, you never see him sit there looking so closely at at anything, just checking it through a a, a telescope, yeah, through a microscope, and using his vision powers and checking out a nerve. You know, we never get to see him learning things like this. No, being I, almost uh, like a scientist, like his actual father. So it's just, I don't know, it was just weird. And then you don't see why he's doing it, and yeah. Well, when it I got was, better later. When I was reading through it, and maybe it's because it's following up, you know, the Birthright coverage that ended a couple of episodes ago, I started seeing where Mark Wade, Mark Wade got a lot of, of the inspiration on how to tell the story. Because like you said, we don't see much of this, where he's exploring the world this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, his pre-Superboy time period. And that's kind of the tack that Mark Wade took. And he even mentioned the grasshopper scene in the Superman 2000 pitch at one point. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yep. Uh, because he's doing it detached in some to some extent. He's using that scientific brain. But he's doing it for reasons of caring. 
And that was something that Mark Wade talked about. Of course, there's another element that we're going to see that Mark Wade took from this. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that. That was the big thing I noticed when I read it the first time. I was like, oh wow, that's where that came from. Yep. Well, that's Everyone was upset about Mark Wade doing it. <laughs> it started here first. Yeah. Well, it's in chapter two, graduation, where basically Clark becomes ill after witnessing um, a dog getting hit by a school bus and dying, and he's alarmed at the way he can see death and life in Clark makes a vow to protect all life and dons a set of familiar red and blue tights. It was yet another traumatic chapter. Yeah. It's like, damn, well, you're, how did this kid grow up so happy? Yeah. Well, you're, you're another dog owner. So, Oh yeah. That, that got to me a little bit. Yeah. Um, Lana mentions Clark Gable, just one little one off note, who is the actual real world namesake of Clark Kent. Yes, it also kind of dates the book, but... Oh, well, that's not the only thing that dates the book by any means. <laughs> oh, no, 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 <laughs> Wait until we get a few chapters ahead. Folks. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I was like, wow. I had to keep reminding myself, yeah, this is 81, so this is probably, you're looking at a good, what, 15, 16 years before, so that's mid-60s? Yeah. Yeah, so, Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is where the aura from Birthright has its origin. And kind of like Birthright, it was v very underused in all reality. You got it here, that kind of explained it, and then you moved on where in Birthright he did the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it was used to a, a, the pr appropriate effect. Um, so I was happy about that. It wouldn't be something I would want to, a power that I would really want to see on a regular basis. No. I mean, it, that makes sense. The difference here, though, is that that power does not make him a vegetarian here which i don't know that that's really that big of a deal as far as superman is concerned but in birthright it because of that he becomes the vegetarian and here i think he eats a steak at some point doesn't he uh not that i remember now maybe not but it doesn't say he becomes a vegetarian and Magan has written several times where he had that uh beef beef bourguignon yeah with ketchup with ketchup, of course. <laughs> uh, ketchup on steak doesn't work for me. I've never had beef. I can't even say it, so <laughs> I've never <eaten> it. <laughs> um, Megan also does a really good job kind of tying in the sort of Old Testament roots of Superman, the Moses allegory, but he ties it also to Abraham and Sarah. Or Sarai, I'm sorry. Oh, mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I see what you did there. Which is thematically... Because we're dealing with a lot of heaven and hell and demons and that kind of fits. But that was... You actually saw Clark get sick, which bothered me for a brief moment. Uh, but he, you know, it's just his anxiety. Oh, yeah. And it, you know, it's... I want to, well... Th th then, um, without going back, because I'm never going to find the line. Didn't they say that they had stopped uh, doing the cattle before Clark was old enough, really. So this was like the first dead thing he's really seen that wasn't a bug. It was before he was a baby, or as he was a baby. Yeah. So this was like the first life he actually, besides maybe that grasshopper, that he actually watched die. And so it was... I, well, the grasshopper, it died of a, a natural virus. This was yeah. an abrupt, you know... Mm -hmm. And granted, for uh, for a lot of people, well, 
few a night would be pretty traumatic. But for a lot of people, they would think like, oh, it's just a dog. But you would have, you know, you would feel that way if you saw a person get hit by a bus. In this instance, Clark, you got to remember Clark's also watching the life actually leaving his the dog's body. So I would imagine that's got to be humongously traumatic, especially if you're a teenager. Yeah, and I'm Kryptonian or not. I was trying to find the line too, but I couldn't find it anyway. <laughs> that's the, that. That is the thing that there's more words to try to look through when you're not, when it's not a comic book. Yeah, it's it's a new experience <laughs> on books. But... Yeah. Uh, chapter three is where things start moving. Uh, chapter three, the watchers. It's actually not the chapters aren't numbered. This is just what I'm putting in. Uh, we meet CW Saturn, who's given the mission to corrupt Superman. And we also meet Kristen Wells, who is a student from the future. <sighs> this was a weird chapter. Yeah, and there was definitely stuff that wouldn't have gotten comics code authority. Um. Especially the stuff with Saturn. Yeah, he runs through uh, corrupting souls, and a lot, and some of them in a very violent way. But you 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 hear about him corrupting historical figures like Daniel Webster, who was a real person, but mm-hmm. he was actually a gifted orator and was depicted in a play, The Devil Daniel Webster, debating the devil. Uh, but he talks about Pope John Paul, Hitler, Socrates, Copernicus, Abraham Lincoln. It it mixed a lot of. Not fictional, but it mixed enough history to make it a little bit more grounded. And that, yeah, this would have never passed the code. Mm-mm. And just the stuff before that with the, uh, let's see. Writing As the creature stood there across no time, the forms of 666 humans walked one at a time, naked. That would have killed it right there. Uh, stooping before Saturn, banging their heads on the obstructions that they could not see, although they were not blind. They could see nothing but Saturn, and there were six. There were six hundred and sixty-six tortures, each different from the others, each agonizingly complete. Yeah. And this guy this wrote Thirsty Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow. Take Thirsty Thursday, throw some <laughs> Satan in. You have something entirely different. Yeah. Change the day of the week. <laughs> Jeez. Ah. Uh, um. And then you get to the Kristen Wells stuff, and it's very definitely late seventies, early eighties. She was still hoping that Sonny and Cher would get back together. Oh, I don't know how to break it to her. She was all she was with it, liberated and foxy, outrageously foxy. Yeah, this yeah. it's <laughs> it's so heavy-handed, but I mean, it's supposed to be. It's part of her character, but wow, it was hard to read, and. I, I like this. She's doing this training before she gets before she gets sent back in time. She's practic- She's she's got this apartment that she's that is set up to look like a contemporary, I guess, nineteen eighty one apartment. Um, and she's trying to remember how to talk to. She's yeah. You know, she's learning the lingo of the time, and she keeps getting called by these guys that keep testing her on different things, so she knows all about different parts of history. I did think it was funny that her walls were papered with posters of John Travolta, Jack Nicholson, and Christopher Reeve. Oh yeah, that's not the only pop culture reference that gets dropped, that's for sure. But I just, it's kind of ironic, since basically 
Christopher Reeve would only be on her wall at this point because of being in the Superman movies. Yeah. So it's like, I wonder how that works. Well, it's just it's one of those things that you were meant to appreciate the nod. Yeah. And <laughs> it's it's a little fan. I don't want to say that here, but yeah, fan wink. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> just a little wink to the yeah. Um, speaking of the people in the future, apparently they're they're coneheads. They're like coneheads when they communicate. They have yeah. no humor, and it just that was the point of the book where I'm like, did I read? I'm looking over. I'm like, I thought I read this. I don't remember any of this. Really? Yeah. I had forgotten that she did the training till like I started reading. It's like, oh, I remember this now. She had to learn. It's kind of weird too because they jump from Saturn to Wells without a chapter break, and it's like weird. Yeah, and that it, that was different from what we'd seen before. However, merging those characters in the first chapter makes sense, or in that chapter. Yeah, you see why later, but and then the, it's kind of uh, let's see, but yeah, that they have no. Although they do celebrate Miracle Monday, they have no humor at all. They're just kind of, what? Yeah. And they have no idea what's going on. But she is like all kinds of crazy teenager, teenagery. I we know guess. she likes men with chest hair. Oh God, that's <laughs> what that was one of the most dated things. She's like she loves it when the guys have their butt the button down, the shirt buttoned down, and. Not if they don't have any chest hair. Guys with no chest hair should never open, wear open shirts. It's just her opinion. But Daddy O. He looks. <laughs> he looked like the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> and nowadays, uh, they, the women, the girls prefer the guys to not have the chest hair and keep the shirts buttoned as much as they can. Yeah, but the creepy part is the guy that she was complaining about was one of her instructors. Yep. <laughs> well, by the end of it, don't they? Isn't he supposed to be playing part of the charade by going on the date with her? She had to get ready for a date, and I think he was the one. Though when they were changing shifts, he it sounded like he was going to end up going on the date with her. She didn't know it was him. Ah, uh, that's right. <laughs> Which is like, ew. <laughs> Let's uh, move on from that topic. Uh, yeah. Let's keep going. Um, so the way. The wave, um, Superman stops a giant tidal wave by freezing it. I know more about that offshore power station than I will ever need to know. He, one thing about Magan with these books, he really loves the fact that he's got more room to make details. He describes everything in minute detail. And, yeah. To some, some good effects, some bad. This was a chapter yeah. where I'm like, you could have cut this way down and... We still haven't really gotten in Superman's head by this point. No. In fact, he's barely been in the book. We're up to page 30. The chapter starts on page 37, and other than... Well, technically, we haven't seen the superhero yet. We've seen young Clark, but he hasn't been in his costume other than in that dream. Yeah. Uh, um, so this chapter didn't... It, it was like, oh, good, uh, a super rescue, but... It's like, well, every 50 pages, you got to have at least one, I guess. Yeah. It just, it didn't, because of that that detail, it dragged it down. And what's, what got me on this, and I'm not trying to sound like I don't like the book, but he spends like three pages describing this darn uh, nuclear reactor, and it seems like we move through the super rescue really fast. 
Yeah. Like the Super Rescue was right at the very end. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a page and a half. The rest... uh, But it does actually kind of set things up for like the whole rest of the book. Yeah. Snow and stuff. Which is kind of cool, which... (laughs) Mice is cold. Well... But um, thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jimmy Olsen in chat in the next chapter, the announcement rushes through the snow to the prison to cover a press crop. Wow, the press conference. Uh, to cover a press conference by Lex Luthor, who tells the world that he has found a new energy source and is going to use it to escape from prison within the next week. I kind of want a full novel that just covers the inner workings of WGBS. Like this, try, Clark, uh, Jimmy trying to rush to beat Clark to the story. Mm-hmm. I that was, was kind of kind of cool. Yeah, that detail was fun. It's like him riding on the uh, freight elevator. The guy <laughs> pointing out, you don't have any freight. I just picture a complete deadpan. Now, see, they don't get into this stuff in the comics. Mm-mm. It was this was. I, I think what what is really cool is as much as um, like the post crisis and well now the new fifty two stuff. They they can. They with the decompression as much as I don't like it, they are able to go into more detail and make things a little more realistical, realistic, and give you more of what normally goes on behind the scenes sometimes at the planet or at GBS or wherever. But back in the Bronze Age, they couldn't, and this novel makes it seem like you're definitely in the real world here. Yeah, and it, you don't usually get to see that with that early time, so it's really cool. No, early I, er time. No, I totally dig, and, and I was just—it's ironic because I was complaining about him explaining the power plant, but this I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I think—I mean, it was still moving. I mean, they're still trying to get to the to the announcement. And what's cool is the way they have this set up. You know, Luther's going to escape because if he says he's going to do something, it's going to happen. But you get through this whole chapter waiting for it and waiting for it, waiting for this news conference to actually happen. And it never actually happens. They skip over it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, but, but you are told what they're going to say. Oh, yeah. Or what he is going to say, I should say. Because he breaks it down. But the news conference is like a big key piece of the entire plot. Not only do you get a, just a smarmy Lex Luthor telling everyone he's going to leave... I'm um, calling the press conference just to say I'm going to escape from prison. He, you also get the biggest hint at that point of what's going to occur, mm-hmm. and you, and I, it, it does. Do you feel like he telegraphed it? Because what it is is there. He Luthor drops a match, and the match spirals. Um, he kind yeah he pointed it out, but. He definitely telegraphed it, but I totally didn't really catch it when I read it the first time. In fact, I almost missed it the second time, except I remember that that had some, that something about the match spiraling is what lets Luther get out. Yeah. But so I don't know that. I mean, if you, I, I really don't think it's telegraphing unless you've read it. Before. Well, it got my attention, and I knew yeah. it was something important. I just didn't know what it was. It, it does fit in with his. Over overuse of detail, though, so it was well not overuse, but excessive use of detail. So it just you know it did it 
and no one seemed to even notice it when it happened. So I just kind of was like, oh, okay. I do, I do like that. I mean, Luthor is so over the top here. He's almost a parody, but just the right amount of venom to make it work. And I like that he was standing there practicing the, uh, practicing, seeing how he was going to start the thing. Like, ladies and gentlemen, no, gentlemen, no, esteemed members of the press, uh, the mass media, mass media. (laughs) So yeah, they also it makes him human. Yeah. But it was, it was humorous. But at the same time, it was just I love the way that they were talking about him just not being able to be kept in a prison. And at one point, he broke out and broke back in because he forgot something. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally Luther. And the the fact that Warden Haskell had decided that all these other guys had been like relieved of their duty after Luther had escaped. And he was close to retirement, so he wasn't going to allow that to happen. And what is the last paragraph of the uh, chapter? In two In weeks, two weeks. Warren yeah. Haskell would be transferred to the East Kansas Juvenile Reformatory where his salary and consequently his retirement pension would be reduced by 20%. <laughs> I love it. That's the first big jump in time. We get a <laughs> lot of jumps back and forth in time. Oh, yeah. Some good, some bad. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, long story short, I'm breaking out of prison. Deuces. And you don't know exactly how he did it, just that he did it. Yeah. At this point, anyway. No. So, demons. Lois tries to set Jimmy Olsen and her assistant Kristen Wells up on a date, which will turn out to be very, very, very creepy later. But Steve <laughs> Lombard swoops in on Kristen when Clark flies off as Superman. We also meet Lena Thorl who is a friend of Lois's and an empath who faints when she sees Kristen at the door. That's Makes what, sense. Yeah. Um, I like that we get like a listing of our characters, our main, our, the known characters, and kind of what their vices are, their hobbies. Mm-hmm. Perry collects stamps. Clark videotapes commercials. Lois writes poetry and keeps them in a lead-lined cardboard box. <laughs> I still want to see... I, I, I love the idea that Jimmy Olsen plays... You know, a radio show, and plays country music. Yeah, he was like a pod, he was like a pod, not podcaster, disc jockey. This is before we had podcasts. Yes, well, that's what they called radio before internet. I like Morgan Edge. Apparently, ran six miles a day. Yeah, <laughs> and then smoked six packs a day. Well, canceling it out, dude. Well, yeah, and Steve Lombard spent weekends. Eating popcorn in front of old movies on TV. Aw. Jimmy Carter taught Sunday school. Martha Kent collected antique bottles. That That's the fun thing is when they have all the uh, the real people mixed in with the fictional characters from the, from the Superman legend. Yeah. That's when you're... And, and, and because it's in prose, you're more inclined to go with the flow on that. Where you kind of buy in a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And let's just say it, Steve Lombard is a douche. Yes, but we get the uh, prerequisite Steve Lombard gag. Yep. Which is to just perfectly in fitting with a Bronze Age comic. You'd think that's why I wondered if Julia Schwartz was in here because of this gag. Yeah, that was his mandate. They had to do that. I, I can live with or without Steve Lombard. Yeah. 
I'm kind of I'm glad that they brought all these people in there because it helps flesh them out a little bit and it I don't know all these characters are there you might as well use them yeah well as I said it's a good segue to what was going on in the comics at that time mm -hmm. because if your your idea was the Silver Age well you're gonna you're in for a shock oh yeah and if and if all you knew was the movies. Yeah, definitely a shock because he's in TV and you got these producers and Steve Lombard and Josh Coyle. I am so glad that they used Josh Coyle. Yeah, Josh Coyle is one of the kind of background heroes of the Bronze Age, and he's he he's one of the characters that never got a uh, post-crisis version because they really didn't have a reason for it. And so it's good to see him in the book. I agree. Um, the, here's my biggest piece of frustration. We were talked about the jumping back and forth in time. We get a lot of setup for a dinner scene, and then we don't see the dinner scene. And once again, we know Luthor escapes. It's mentioned. but And we also know the warden has figured out from that videotape that something with the match has done that. But we're kind of in the dark at this point. And it doesn't necessarily always succeed at building suspense sometimes it builds a frustration mm -hmm. that may be my biggest standing complaint of the book as a whole yeah it's like it's like you know if you cut out some of the detail some a little bit of the detail we could have actually had the dinner scene yeah it felt like he keeps setting stuff up and then not following through with it <laughs> it's it's yeah. It's kind of yeah. It's kind of getting it. it You're kind of me hanging. <laughs> We're at sixty some pages into it, and we've had two scenes all set up, and then skip over it. And well, neither one of them we actually get to go back to. Not really, no. Mm. Um, but if you are an empath or a psychic and you faint, vitamin C. Oh yeah. It's one of those things you learn from Superman. Well, Kristen Wells, but still. I don't get it, but I'm going to run with it because I actually bought it. The first, there was a minute there, and I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I'm reading through it, um, and it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Vitamin C. Wait, no, it doesn't. <laughs> well, you know, solar something energy. I don't know. <laughs> I like, Citrus. I like I like I like pseudoscience. So. Yeah. If the Enterprise can fly in my head, then I'm good. <laughs> Making the little <laughs> noise. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, moving on <laughs> to the, <laughs> the discovery of magic. Uh, we're, oh we're... wait, before before oh, I'm sorry. I like, I'm sorry. I just I'm turning to the pay, to the start of it, and I'm looking, and I saw this scene. I forgot to mention um, when Lena faints. Kristen picks up the phone. And is talking to Lois because they were on the phone with each other. Lois and Lena were. And all, what, what is this? Chris, Kristen says, um, I didn't even get as far as telling her who I was. And she was felled in a faint. And Lois is like, felled in a faint? I mean, she fainted. The chick fainted, man. Checked out on the road. <laughs> What's her scam? <laughs> What's her scam? That was the point where I just facepalmed a little bit. What's her scam, daddy-o? It's like, well, not only first she talks weird, 
in the felt in a faint, but I guess that's proper grammar for the future. But then she like realizes she messed up, and then she starts laying it on way too thick. And we go from not bad for the early 80s to like, it's like deader than disco talk. I don't know. It, was, it, it made me chuckle a little bit. I'm, I'm pretty certain, I'm not an expert, because I would have been, what, four at this point? But wouldn't I dis- was almost one. <laughs> Sorry. That's when things got nasty on Superman Forever Radio. <laughs> and that was the end. <laughs> suddenly you hear a, a glass bottle breaking and... <laughs> no. Um, but I don't think disco was still a thing. Or at least not the main, you know. It wasn't... It, it, it had died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. I may be entirely wrong. I think you're right. I think it was... I think it... I want to say it died like right around... 80. Okay, it may have been on its way out because I yeah. maybe Solid Gold was still on TV if I remember correctly. <laughs> Soul Train. Actually, I know that was still on because that was still on in the 90s. Yes, it was because it needed to be. Don Cornelius, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of rest in peace, Mar- uh, Mystery of Magic, which has nothing to do with resting in peace. Uh, it's dis- actually the Discovery, discovery of Magic. Discovery of Magic, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. I said it right the first time, ironically, and then we would jump back. Yeah, <laughs> Luthor discovers a form of energy called gas waves and masters using these to slip between dimensions and walk through the wall of his cell. So we actually see how he escaped. Okay, I, I was totally fascinated by this. Nothing really happened in the in in this chapter per se. No, it's just over and over trying to explain how it happened. But it but... almost it almost sold me on it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he got rid of all of the cows. No. Mineral deposits in his body. Yeah. Which really hurts, apparently. I'm sure your body gets used to that. Yeah. Well, and see, here's the funny thing, too. Um, He says he's this... Let's see, what did he say? They have another name for these gas waves he's discovered, which is called ectoplasm. Now, unfortunately, I had just recently covered an, uh, the Superman Spectacular over on Superman in the Bronze Age uh, with John Wilson. And in that issue, uh, they have all kinds of dealings with ectoplasm. And Lex Luthor actually plays a big hand in that. And so he knows about ectoplasm. So the fact that he's discovered this stuff that's called ectoplasm, that is also known as ectoplasm was kind of interesting different writer because that was a carrie bates story but yeah i thought that was interesting yeah it was just he's meditating he's it it only like i said it almost sold me on a ridiculous concept i think the thing that got me was the um what what was surprising me was the fact that lex luther who is very much a science man uh was doing the meditation and stuff and then when they explained why, it made sense. But when he started doing it, I was like, wait a minute. Luther wouldn't meditate. He's not into that stuff. Of course, I don't. I would never picture Luther asking the question, where do thoughts go? <laughs> That's a good point, yes. So, um, next chapter. Liquefied natural gas. Superman leaves the dinner with Lois, Kristen, and Jimmy to save a tanker hauling liquefied natural gas and suddenly realizes the way Luthor plans to escape as Lex awakens outside the prison, having led the demon CW Saturn to Earth. 
I literally have nothing on this chapter, except I didn't know liquefied natural gas was a real thing. Yeah, I didn't either, but I kind of thought it was a cool scene. It was definitely very Superman-ish. Um, yeah, I, li- I liked it. It wasn't still not really my favorite of the book, but I, I definitely liked it. Um, oh, I do. I, okay, one thing I do like is the that the parking lot attendant or the guy that owns the parking lot, even though it's perfectly repaired, try, was going to try to charge Superman, who puts <laughs> a tanker there for all of what a couple hours. Yeah, <laughs> and see the the thing is that we got all this stuff happening with this action scene, and you know that that would have had to have been done in like one page of a comic, if that. Would, yeah. Yeah, and wouldn't have been able to be near anywhere near as cool. But no, it was it was a cool one. I just didn't have any specific notes. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a cool scene. And then I thought it was interesting that that was how Saturn. You would think that the bringer of chaos could just you know show up on Earth, not have to have Luther open up some hole in the between dimensions or whatever. Well, see, my assumption was that he had, that he had before because you have him taunting. Exactly. You have him taunting uh, Abraham Lincoln or Daniel Webster or Hitler. How is had, maybe we found a loophole or a plot hole? Oh, I, I'm pretty certain we did. Or unless he's just used these similar passages before. Yeah. Or he can travel through time. Oh, that's he, kind of interesting. And he shows up on Earth now, and then he can go back and do all that other stuff. I've been watching a lot of Doctor Who. I'm sorry. So you're you're subscribing to the wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yes, yes. Uh, so the journal of Kristen Wells. We pick up with her. Um, she is losing her grip. This was really weird. Yeah, pages are typing themselves. She can't sleep. Um, she feels like there are two beings fighting to control her body, but at first she denies it. It was, it reminded me of the movie, um, Requiem for a Dream. It really bothered me. I did not like this chapter. I mean, I, I like it for what it was trying to do, but it definitely accomplished making me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, and the third thing was repeated like 17 times because mm-hmm. of, of her getting messed up. We also found out that how Jimmy dies. Yep. He dies next year. Yeah, I, was, I had a note on that, too. <laughs> well, no. Uh, yeah, he won four four Pulitzers through, ni- through 2014. When he was killed on Mars. That's going to be a tricky one. Yeah. Well, you got to think, though, this is uh, what? This is uh, Earth One, pre-crisis Earth One. They've got Kryptonians and Thanagarians and uh, I guess Martians. Um, Wait, no, we don't. Martian Manhunter's the last one. Well, okay, Martian. I think was he on Earth at this point? Martian Manhunter. Theoretically, yeah. yeah I. Okay, now we're going down a much nerdier path than we need. Yes, yeah, sorry, sorry. There, there's a time in there that he was like on another planet trying to set up a new Martian civilization. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but so, you know, with all that stuff, it would, I guess it would kind of make sense that maybe things could be a little more futuristic, I guess. Yeah. Well, you got to think when you have characters like Superman involved, I mean, it's going to change 
the landscape. Yeah, and Lex Luthor trying to come up with the technology to take him down. Granted, he doesn't let other people have it, but you know, someone picks up some kind of a weapon that he's created. You know, if they can figure out how to back, you know, uh, what's that word that they use? And you take it apart. Um, reverse reverse engineer. There you go. That just that doing that can probably help with a lot of stuff. True. Um, she it's mentions one, but... Michael. Hmm? I'm sorry. She mentions a uh, Superman Encyclopedia by Michael Fleischer, who actually did write uh, what would be called the Great Superman Book or the Superman Encyclopedia. So that's he actually there was a real person, Michael Fleischer, that wrote a book, and then later yeah. it would be expanded upon for the Essential Superman Encyclopedia. Yeah, um, expanded on for uh, by like what Martin what, Martin, Martin Pasco. Pasco? Yeah. yeah, who one of the he was? Oh no, he had finished. He'd left the books by this point. Never mind. Yep. And that's one of my favorite tools in podcasting ever. I highly recommend I should, it. I should probably pull mine out to use it sometime. I keep forgetting to. I don't have the uh, Bronze Age one. That would probably be handy for my show. The, the one that the unexpanded version. The one from the seventies. Yeah. Uh, they reprinted that. They made a reprint of that in the two thousands. Oh, yeah. I've seen it. I just never got it. I had it at one time, but once I got the expanded version, I... Yeah, I have the expanded one. But I'm thinking that the other one would probably be handy for someone... Yeah, no, I'm agreeing completely. uh, I don't know, maybe doing a Bronze Age podcast. Wow. I know. Your logic is blowing my mind. I don't know what idiot would think to do that. Whatever. Speaking of which, the third thing I wanted to mention... um, Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. ...was a joke that just didn't work. Never mind. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, see, well. I went to go make myself a cup of coffee, and there was one sitting here. I don't remember doing that. Exactly, yeah. It'll make Weird. sense if you read the book. <laughs> Weird. And Oh, did you also notice, like, earlier she's like, she doesn't know anything about Jimmy Olsen? Yeah. Um, I met a young reporter named Jimmy Olsen, who I think is a friend of Superman's in the 20th century. He had red hair and freckles. And no hair on his chest. I read that somewhere. No, maybe I that was Andrew Jackson. I always get those two mixed up. How do you mix up Jimmy Olsen and Andrew Jackson? I don't know. And then after she does the thing with the coffee, she comes on James Bartholomew Olsen Jr. was a Superman era journalist who won the Pulitzer. It's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Dang. I like that he has um, a son named Jimmy Bartholomew Olsen III, and then another son named Clark Perry Olsen. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, and and just to spoil ahead, he also has a great-great-great-great-great-great-granddaughter named Kristen Wells. Ew. <laughs> oh, that just totally... Oh, okay. Now I see why that's messed up. Yeah. Did you did you know that his daughter is, na- is Noelle N. Olsen? I did not. I actually missed that part. Noel, so yeah, he has a daughter named Noel N, which I'm thinking would be Noel Neal from The Adventures of Superman would have been Lois Lane. That's how I'm taking it. Yep, so I thought that was pretty cool. So technically, he's with two of his kids. He's got Clark Perry and Lois, without it being totally noticeable. Speaking of name dropping cameos, <laughs> we go to the next chapter, the warning. Where Lena Thorl, who is the long-lost sister of Lex Luthor, she just doesn't know it. See, Thorl is Luthor backwards. 
Uh, Or an anagram. Uh, But she delivers a message from a magician named Max Maven for Superman to meet him. So when the Man of Steel does, Maven kind of reveals that CW Saturn has gotten to Earth. This chapter was weird because it has a cameo by Ray Bradbury. (laughs) Yeah. That's weird. That's that's the only word I I can give you to it. Although, you know, it also fits in with that Superman 400 um, because of the fact that Ray Bradbury does, like, a introduction to it, I think. Yeah, he, yeah he, does, he does. He writes an introduction. So see how the full works? He was in the book, and then, well, anyway. But, yeah, that seemed kind of weird. Yeah, even by my standards. Um, yeah. I know he had a big connection with Schwar- Julie Schwartz, because Julie Schwartz was his first... Um, agent Ray Bradbury's first agent but um so that seems to lend some more of that credence to you saying that maybe Schwartz had more of a hand in this than maybe we know I have no idea where that it was just it was one of the oddest cameos I've ever seen yeah although the idea of him going to Disneyland's kind of cool yes (laughs) Superman in Disneyland or Superboy sorry in Disneyland that's awesome the bit about um Walt, he, him, uh, Ray Bradbury wanting Walt Disney to run is actually fairly true. He, they were actually friends. He and Walt Disney. Oh, really? Yep. Cool. And <laughs> he apparently did have a lifetime past of Disneyland. Now that would be cool. Uh, Although I probably prefer Disney World. It's a little bit bigger. Really, beggars can't be choosers. I know. And besides, and. Disney World was probably, wasn't even around when Superboy was Superboy. So, well, see, just now you're blowing my mind. Okay. Yeah, I know. Uh, did you notice that it's also mentioned um, that in Maven's room there's a Walt Simonson Merlin? Yes, I thought that was so cool. I went to look it up, and I haven't found a picture of Walt Simonson or a picture Walt Simonson did of Merlin. I kind of want to. Oh, I wonder if he actually did one. Maybe. He may have done the commission for for uh, Elliot himself. Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of weird because I, I, off the top of my head, I don't know that they've actually worked together. Simonson was definitely in comics at this point, but I don't know that he and Megan ever worked together. No? Not that I can think of. Unless they did something on Batman or something. I don't think so. So it was—it just seems kind of weird that he uh, would throw him in there like that. I mean, you know, why not pick someone he's actually worked with? Like, I don't know, uh, you know, you could throw in Neil Adams or Swan or something. It's kind of weird that they throw in Simonson. Have they invented the term Swanderson yet? Oh, yeah, Swanderson was early 70s. Okay. But have they, had, did they actually use that term? Yes. In fact, okay. uh, in fact, a few times they actually use it as in the credits for the issue. Okay, perfect. I couldn't remember if that was something that we later generations assigned to it or not. Oh, no, no, no. They they, they took care of that themselves. Well done. It actually worked out, yeah. Well, what did you think of the character of Max Maven? Um, well, I can't say the word on this show, but uh, I'm not a fan. It's kind of a, a it's interesting that he can actually do magic by force of will 
that was kind of weird. Uh, but beyond that, I, I, an interesting character, basically a throwaway character. I don't see the, it seemed kind of pointless. Exposition. That was about all I saw. I, I liked him. I thought he could be a really cool character if used, and he was just not used at all in the book. Yeah, I, I, I wish there there could have been someone that actually... I wish there could have been a slightly different way to do it than some magician that doesn't really do much. I'm still trying to figure out what a Karelian aura is. Does this mean he's an alien? No, uh, Karelian aura is a type of photography that supposedly shows the electromagnetic spectrum of a person. Um, they, 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 it's supposed that's a, it's your soul. I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, that uh, stuff. I thought that was the gas vapor, or the gas waves. Was your soul. No, this was... It's Karelian photography, is what I'm actually referring to. You can oh, take okay. a you can take a picture of somebody with certain lenses, and it p- creates the this weird aura around them, and it's supposedly the electromagnetic, uh, all the stuff running through the body. Um, you remember on the X Files when you would see that handprint mm-hmm. with like the glowing handprint? That was Karelian photography. Okay, okay, okay. That made me think he was like an alien or something, but. Um... Yeah, I. He would have been cool if he had come if he had more of a point than just to ex- say that CW Saturn's here. But because he didn't, I was just like, eh. Well, I think it's funny that Superman gets tired of his stuff and leaves, and then he makes his point, and Superman is like, "Okay, I'm coming back. You've you've got my attention." <laughs> that part was cool. I'll give you that one. Because Superman leaves, and the guy just keeps talking because he knows Superman can hear with his super ears and um then before you know it superman's back <laughs> no you have or my attention superman returned oh i see what you did there yeah threw that out there um <laughs> the next chapter is hot springs and surprise surprise superman takes lois on a date to some hot springs probably the most pointless chapter in the book and yet i liked it <laughs> I didn't have anything against it I, per se. I liked the scene. It was, I think, it was the placement of the chapter that really made it pointless. Had this happened a little bit earlier in the book, like cool. maybe right before the Max Maven thing, yeah. perhaps yeah. would have been cool. Because just like you get this big thing about CW Saturn's coming, so he goes on a date with Lois. Yeah, and he doesn't mention anything about it at all. Mm-mm. One thing I did find interesting though is that um, they do definitely put Smallville in the Midwest in here. And that follows the movies, mm-hmm. but the comics in the, at the time, Smallville was kind of a suburb of Metropolis. Uh, yeah. I was trying to think of it. Was, it was, I'll, I'll, I thought it was more like a, a state over, but pretty much, yeah. Well, I don't know. I saw, there's a, which issue is it? There's an issue of the New Adventures of Superboy that actually has, they have a map of Smallville, and it also has a map of um, the surrounding area. And you've got, there's the, you know, Metropolis Harbor, Gotham Harbor, kind of the same thing. And you've got Gotham on one side, Metropolis on the other, and then you actually had kind of, in a suburb, you had Metropolis, or Smallville, and you also had Bigville. 
which was from like a, <laughs> I believe that was a Silver Age Superboy book. It might have been right before Silver Age, but yeah. So, but yeah, I think it was a suburb. Well, pretty much, yeah. I mean, it was it was nearby. It was very very yeah. close. It was, it was more. It was more like Smallville was almost more set up with Metropolis as it like set up on the Smallville TV show. Yeah, where you could get on the watchtower and see the city in the distance. Yeah, exactly. Rather than the way it's depicted here, where you have to fly halfway across the country to get to Smallville. That's post-crisis continuity. Um, there was, was a, there was a theory my friend had at one point that Metropolis would be Kansas City. Because if there's actually some credence to this, not canon wise, but if you could see Metropolis as the largest city from Kansas, then that would logically be Kansas City, biggest city right. on that area. However, when you start looking at Smallville, Smallville is actually near Lawrence, Kansas, which would actually legitimately make it. If you're starting to mix your, you know, your continuities, it, a case could be made that it is Kansas City. However. My theory is still that Kansas City is Central City. Yes, I've always figured. Uh, you know, it's weird. They can't figure that one out either. The way uh depends on who's writing it. If it's Jeff Johns writing Kansas City and, well, actually in the um, Francis Manupal, because they kind of have it this way in um, New oh, 52. Yes, they do. Um, it's very much Kansas City because you got the bridge and, you you know, you're looking at Almost, it's just Twin Cities and stuff. Um, but back when they were doing Mark Wade's during the Mark Wade run, and they kept having those secret files and origins thing, they had it in like Ohio. Eh, it's still Midwest, but the, I, yeah. I I want it to be in Kansas City for my own selfish needs. Yeah. And it's and funny it, you mentioned that the yeah New Fifty Two Flash. It's the only New Fifty Two book at this point to survive the culling. My own personal culling, not the crossover. Oh, okay. Which means I have finally given up on New 52 Superman. Oh. It, it started immediately becoming a train wreck as soon as hell ended. <laughs> Just... well, to be honest, it was turn, it turned into a train wreck right around while it was ending. Yeah. From what I remember. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there were lot, lots of disappointment in that one. Yeah. Anyway, we're, we're not talking about New we 52 could, We could get into a whole different context. Uh, episode if we kept talking that that way well no um, I'll, I'll be honest with you and, I'll, and my you know i recorded with zaki hassan recently who explained his he, we were talking off air and he explained something as a loveless marriage i think that's the best way to describe where i was at with dc when they canceled the third uh reprinting or a th- uh, trade, trade paperback of the starman omnibus it became a point where i'm like i'm not getting what i want out of this anymore mm-hmm and the Flash has been the only book to survive, but I'm actually contemplating if I can uh, ever get to a point where I'm kind of caught up and make a decision if I want to keep reading some of that stuff. Um, I'm actually looking into trying to work on some back issues, doing a John Williams, John Williams, wow, John Wilson-esque um, reading project of like picking like the big Marvel books like Tales of Suspense, um, Journey into Mystery, Avengers, Fantastic Four, and just starting there and just reading through Marvel history. That would be a blast. I've thought about doing that too. I, I will never be able to do it as so long as this show exists. So. 
Yeah, that's my thing too. Um, I really, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's not going to be easy because I'm also trying to. I'm also my first task though is I'm wanting to read through in, uh, John Kirkman's Invincible, and I haven't even started that one yet. So, and that's like a hundred plus, and it's still going. But I know next to nothing about Marvel history, and someone's got this Hulk podcast that has got me into Hulk, and um, I can't think of his name. <laughs> but um <laughs> you are welcome yeah thanks a lot and then um well and you know just you saying that i've gotten you addicted to that peter david run that mm-hmm. the, the, the show has done its job already <laughs> right there yeah you got me reading it dang it i'm like i try not to read marvel but anyway and then there's a couple of british guys that have me wanting to read some fantastic four and it's just like <sighs> and then the spider-man Crawl Space shows got me wanting to read some of the classic Spider-Man stuff, so I'm like, might as well just dive in fe- head first and go for it. Go all Although, in. although now that I'm start, I find it ironic. I'm starting to like this Peter David guy on Hulk, and here I am wanting to start over way back at the beginning. Got like 20 years of reading before I get to the Peter David stuff. But I've got several episodes of Pad Smash and Incredible Hulk podcast to help me through those early issues when he was still when J. David Weider was still covering that stuff. <laughs> Plug cha-ching. Cha-ching. But I take I take <laughs> PayPal or check. Just saying. You'll take a check, really? Oh yeah. I've well, got a credit does... card, dude. <laughs> well, I have a reader. Oh. So, yeah. Anyway, speaking of speaking of the credit card. Oh no, no, let's not do that. <laughs> but speaking of of commerce, the next chapter. Yeah. Are we still on Hot Springs? Uh, we we can be. Okay. I was going <laughs> to I was going to segue to the auction. That's even better. I I, I <laughs> see, what I, see what I did there. Yes, I see what you did there. This That's is the chapter where Luthor stages an elaborate auction to get some of his equipment back. And they're this, this was a wacky chapter. This was wacky, but it was fun. It yes. was a nice little break from this. Well, I was going to say it was a nice break from the seriousness, but we just had the romantic interlude with Lois. So I, I still take that as seriousness. Yeah, this was very humorous. He's basically inventing all of these things under the alias of, a, of an artist and then hires actors who don't even know that each other are actors to sit there and bicker for it. So it's basically like money laundering, except with evil science devices. And with himself. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the, way, the way Magan comes up with um, the way Luther ha- gets his money. Between this one and in the last Son of Krypton book, he comes up with these believable ways for Luther to be able to come up with all the money that's goes kind of against what a lot of people would think about the pre-crisis Luther where he would spend like billions of dollars to create a machine so he could go rob a bank for millions of dollars. But he's got this ingenious backup system here that is very crazy. But it works. Between coming up with patents to through other through other companies so that he can get the money from those. And then this stuff where he's <laughs> bidding against himself in an auction. But that's excellent. The reason being is that it builds plausible ideas, ways for this to occur. Mm-hmm. And then 
there's something that gets touched on later that you almost think, wow, Lex doesn't need all this crime stuff. He's got a great racket going. <laughs> I know. The man... Do you know how how hard it would be for a normal person to come up with this? You you wouldn't have time to do anything else. No. Coming up with this crap. <laughs> Not to mention how much money it would have cost to set this up in the first place. It's just nuts. Well, you got to do the initial crime, but after that, he could have just laid low and and that would have been it. And I like how they throw you off because he's got an <laughs> two people being this Tommy Town, someone in a costume who's not the real Tommy Town. Then you find out that the guy that is Tom Town is not is just an actor hired to play Tom. I am lost. It's... <laughs> and the actor he has an actor playing uh, this Tommy Town guy, and then an actor playing the the brother of the artist. And they're they're good in this great bidding war, which is yeah. hilarious. Neither one of them know each other's an actor. They even give each other a ride back. I know. It's it's it is it is it's a perfectly humorous and then I just pictured Luthor in his uh, he's, he describes it as a Keystone Cops outfit. Yes. So the over the top you know cop helmet with the bully club that's exactly what I picture. I'm thinking a big handlebar mustache too. Yeah, that's exactly what I picture. We also figure out that um, Luthor doesn't care if Superman has a secret identity, or that Superman has a secret identity. Well, the thing is, Luke, is interesting. The, the identity thing was probably the most interesting, non-humorous part, because he assumes that if he if Superman has a secret identity, it's just kind of like the identities that he, Luthor himself, uses and discards. So it's it's an odd, un, I mean, clearly not intentional, but a, kind of a allusion to what the post-crisis would use. Mm-hmm. Where the post-crisis Luthor is like, he's, he's Superman, why would he bow down to be one of us? Where it actually makes it a point to say, no, Clark Kent is a very much a part of him. Exactly. And he thinks that if he does have or whatever a secret identity, he thinks it would be someone that's powerful in that life as well. Like, he thinks it might be Morgan Ed- that it was Morgan Edge. Or Joe Namath, or Muhammad Ali. Or, or even Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Or Pete Ross. What? <laughs> well, that's a, okay. <laughs> Well, that one is just the the Pete disappeared. He kind of disappeared, yeah. Every time. It could also be Greg Nettles or Jim Rice, but it doesn't work with a baseball player's schedule. I like that. that that's the logic. Yeah. And he was probably Muhammad Ali. Now, if he was, that would be an awesome secret identity because you're changing a lot more than just your hair. Yeah, and, I'd, I'd um, be really impressed. Yes. And um, or maybe even Edward Kennedy. Why? Why? Why would you think it was Ted Kennedy? That was the one that got me uh, the most. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like well, yeah, just it could be Gary Sinise. <laughs> <laughs> it could be Conan O'Brien. Hey, wait a minute! Whoa! <laughs> yeah, see. Uh, but the next chapter anyway, after a blank page <laughs> yeah it's real is the name of the chapter in which cw saturn meets with lex and challenges him with getting a lock of, of superman's hair this got creepy fast yes this is um it's 
Well, actually, it's mostly flashback to time with Clark. What? Oh, apparently my bad. My phone. My my phone. Yes. Let me plug in my laptop real quick. That's not good. No. Oh, I've got the thing here. It just like to use the battery sometimes. Okay. Anyway, most of it is actually like flashback to Clark in Smallville. Clark and Lex. Another thing that Mark Wade picked up from this? I, I'm not going to say Mark Wade did pick this up, but I can see where this would be very instrumental in Birthright. I also want to say that they probably picked up a few... Th- I'm, I'm wondering if anyone from the Smallville TV show read this. Oh, more than likely. Yeah. I'm sure Jeff Lowe read this at one point. Yeah. And he was... Well... Yeah. And I would I wouldn't be surprised if the guys that was it Miles and go, um, go they they actually would not they were not fans going in, which is odd. I mean, they may have used it for research. Yeah, I don't know. Well, the 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 possibility it's just you know this book coming out when Superman two came out. It's possible anyone could have read it, whether they remember that they've read it or not. Oh, true. I like the the irony that a that the visage the idea of CW Saturn is that he's all white, like white everything, and I pictured the Spider-Man villain Tombstone. Oh, okay. It reminded me of the. Uh, it's during that. It's in fact it's reprinted in the Kryptonite Nevermore hardcover, but that story with the. Um, with the evil angels. Hmm. I forgot all and about the, that. The good guy demons or whatever that actually aren't demons, but the angels make Superman think that they're demons or whatever. See what they did. That was wacky. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, I also like the symbolism that they have this discussion on an old uh, decrepit playground. So you have this corrupted innocence symbol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had an Arkham City type vibe there. Yeah. You can almost hear the creaking swing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we jump to the next chapter, Overachieving, where Superman rescues a subway car and meets Kristen Wells. It, well, this one was a much... I like this. This might be my favorite rescue. I like this whole chapter because of the way... It, um, Sets up Clark. I love that Clark gets awakened. He doesn't like it. So <laughs> he's going to do all this stuff to kind of efficiently pay Morgan Edge back for waking him up, <laughs> including <laughs> shouting from the other side of the room and lightly throwing a chair into the table <laughs> by the phone. <laughs> I love it. And then he sleeps 30 to 40 minutes a night. I know. Well, that, what more do you need? And then he stands in one spot in his apartment, looks around and checks things out and sees where he's actually needed, and then flies off. And it just seemed right. I mean, it just seemed very, very Supermanish. No, this was this was this felt more like the comic book than any other scene because mm-hmm. it's it's a super rescue, but it's a really well done super rescue. And I like the lady on the train, kind of swooning. That Superman knows her name. (laughs) 
My wife did this. I showed her this uh, this video. It was one of the trailers. It was a fan-made trailer for Man of Steel. All Henry Cavill did was n- kind of move his head a little bit, and she swoons. My really? wife, yeah. So I'm like, I think we got our guy. Just the way he moves, sitting there at the uh, at the table with Lois. So, didn't you swoon too? Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I remember you saying that. I was just curious. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna. Rem- anyway. <laughs> and then we meet Kristen Wells, <laughs> who is now well and truly possessed. Yeah, her eyes go like gray or something. Yeah, it's that was nuts. And then just disappears, and I'm Kristen again. Yep. (laughs) But we get that kind of underlined in the next journal entry where basically CW is doing it now and saying that I'm going to wear Superman down. Just selling all the stuff that he's doing just to wreck this havoc, and it's it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And the way he says he's going to... um, Where is it? He is growing weary, and it will be after I destroy the creation he values beyond all else, beyond even his own realization, that I will tempt him beyond even his ability to resist. And at this point, I thought I was all smart because I remembered, oh, I remember what he's doing. And then, as we're preparing for the podcast, I happened to glance at the um, back cover of the book. And it kind of gives it away. So I felt stupid. Trying to see what you were seeing. On the back cover? Last paragraph. Oh, gotcha. (laughs) Okay, yeah, because they do... Well, they made that a point. Because they mentioned that... He describes in, in the chapter of demons, you know, that everybody has their demons. Um, I think you would call it, I guess, idols. Mm-hmm. Um, things that distract you, that kind of vanities, I guess, is another way to put it. And Clark Kent is very much Superman's vanity. So yeah, that and and I total I did not connect that until you said that actually. <laughs> like oh <laughs> and the, I, wow. And the fact that they kind of Megan actually mentioned it mentions it several times how much he loves or how much Superman loves Clark. Yeah. And how important Clark is. But for me, I guess my knee-jerk reaction is, oh, he's going to hurt Lois. Because that's what we're used to. Right, yeah. I might have just been remembering, too. Well, no, but at the same time, that makes... Now that I'm, I'm rationally, rationalizing it out loud, I'm like, oh, okay. He, the whole Lois thing could get thrown off by simply taking... By what, what happens next, I guess, is a better way to put it. Because, <sighs> yeah, this is where stuff starts hitting the fan. Oh, yeah. Now that we're about 135 pages in, this is where it starts kicking. Yes. <laughs> well, you have, you have the next chapter with Luthor coming up with this Dr. Svarsky, who says there's this itching sickness that Superman may be carrying as an excuse to get a lock of Superman's hair. And you get into the identity of this character, and you're kind of impressed with this doctor, only to find out, nope, neither one of Lex's identities. It's amazing the work he's put into these things. Yes. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I didn't. I totally did not connect that it was Luthor at all until the very end. Because this guy has this. Uh, what was it? So he he knew the pilot needed an inner ear. Had it needed to be checked for an inner ear infection by the way that the cloud uh, the plane banked. 
See, that's when I thought that he wasn't. At first, when they started mentioning it, uh, when no one seemed to know much about it except for him and all this stuff, I was thinking, I wonder if this has anything, because it's kind of weird that Luther wouldn't be someone that could do this, but no, that's that's what I thought. I don't know what I was thinking. It does seem a very Luther. No, it's a very Luther thing. It seems do. like a Luther thing to do, but the what he could do just by looking at stuff or uh, the basis of a photograph of the Soviet president in Newsweek that the Salt II Treaty would be delayed because the communist leader would recover from the stroke he was going to suffer during the next week, and I was like, "Eh, that's probably beyond Luther." <laughs> and then it, then you find out it is Luther, and I'm like, well, damn. But it is, no, it's still beyond Luther, though. Because none of that actually happened. It's just a reputation. Exactly. It's, He's wow. built this identity that is so good that, the, that, the <laughs> <laughs> that it's fooled the medical community altogether. Wow. Uh, you can tell how much Megan loves Lex Luther. Yeah, and, and it, 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 it's probably one of the better parts of the book as well. Just Luthor, how much detail you go into with Luthor, even though I don't like to sympathize with Luthor, and I don't end up doing that, but I do see the background, mm-hmm. and I enjoy it. Um, the next chapter's the big one. Uh, during a live news broadcast in the special report, see uh, Kristen Wells shows up and reveals Clark Kent's secret identity to the world. And plus, we get a flashback to the college years. Which definitely were not touched upon much. No. But at one point, Clark was going to tell Lex his secret. Lex is running this scam of some kind, and Clark sees through it. And Clark was trying to tell Lex, look, you can quit trying to destroy Superboy or Superman. I can guarantee he won't follow you if you'll just set up a new identity and be brilliant. And Lex balks at it. That was a hardcore moment. And it fits perfectly with their characters. Yeah. You you know, Clark was ready to sacrifice that. Um, that was one of my favorite chapters, honestly. <laughs> Just, it's that road not taken kind of thing. That's the one that got me thinking the most. It's, uh, just, yeah. If that had happened, imagine what... Oh, wow. Yeah, completely different. Um, so in, in the next chapter, Superman retreats to his Fortress of Solitude and listens to the world and kind of feels like he's part of it now. This this was a weird chapter. Yeah, this this one, a little bit of almost made me wonder if, if Megan was kind of smoking something. But I, I, I might wonder. <laughs> yeah, Superman was part of the song. He had an instrument in the orchestra of this earth. It's like, yeah, and Which the is color funny. purple tastes funny and stuff. <laughs> but it's, it's a long-winded way of saying kind of what I asked at the beginning. You know, if something like Superman is part of this world, does that throw off the nature? Now Superman's realizing, no, I'm, I'm a part of this. Mm-hmm. So I thought it's it ended just... up being a good scene just told in a very odd way. I do like the description of him flying out the window and the last of the Clark Kent clothing ripping off in the breeze. 
And if you are a reader of Bronze Age Superman, you would know that he must be wearing his uh, uh, broadcast uh, clothing because his actual Clark Kent uniform wouldn't burn up because it's chemically treated not to. I see what you did there. Thank you. Super fact. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> um, so that's kind of the second, the hero's second wind. Um, we get into general destruction, when which Saturn discontinues to do just that. Basically, um, it's it's havoc, just havoc everywhere. There's a wow between the Pan Am building being upside down. Yeah, <laughs> the statue of Horace Greeley running around Journal Square pinching tourists. <laughs> wow, I love it. It made me think of Mixus Pitalik, which is kind of mentioned in the next chapter as well. Mm-hmm. Um, or the uh, a chapter down the line, but oh yeah, that statue thing makes me think of uh, the animated series. Yes, actually, yes, the Gurk. Mm-hmm. Yes, the first appearance of Mixus Pitalik. Hey, my Gurk! <laughs> <laughs> and also the first appearance of Mixius Tipolik, because that scene was basically taken out of that. Directly comic. out of it, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of my other favorite chapters in the book, maybe the one that really stood out more as far as the relationship between Lois and Clark, was getting affairs in order. You know, it's that awkward moment when Lois catches you lying to her for years. Uh, but long story short, Superman arrives at his Clark Kent apartment where people have just stolen all kinds of stuff at this time <laughs> for souvenirs. Yeah. And Lois has become the executor of his will, even though Clark isn't technically dead. And she really calls him out on his crap. And she uses a profanity. Which definitely would not have been allowed in the uh, comic. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's a... I'm not advocating profanity in comics but that was a or it was an appropriate response to you know what he, he did to her because mm-hmm. she says uh she feels uh, a word that's excrement excre- excrementally <laughs> just try to do it clean <laughs> but it but it's true it's true i if i found out my wife had this whole other life and it was right in front of me the whole time, and basically I'm I'm an idiot for not seeing it. Yeah, I would be a little miffed. Definitely makes sense that that would happen. Oh, that happened in the um when they did it post crisis too. Yeah, because she had to had to process through the whole thing. Well, I mean it's it, it's it's the fact that the guy that you thought would never ever lie to you in Superman. And really, what appears to be the most honest guy on his own right is Clark Kent. Both of them have been lying you to you, and it's something that uh, no, it was it would just blow my mind. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> you got both these people who who seem like the most trustworthy people on the planet, and it's a lie. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't imagine being in Lois's shoes. It was just it was, it was played out really really well. Um, we jump to this odd chapter, the alternatives, which is a newscast with Jimmy and and Perry coming down to the the main suggestion. Hey, we got to kill Kristen, well, Kristen Wells. That's the only way we're going to get out of this. Exactly. Yeah. 
I thought that that scene went on way too long to get to the point that it got to. But they keep mentioning Mixelplick on this. T- er, Mixelplick. Wow. See, I read it in the book here. But Perry does mispronounce it that way. Yes. That, that's what uh, I just happened to glance at it when I said it. That's why I said it that way. Mixelplicks. Yep. But yeah. Perry just can't say the word Mixespitalic. I can't imagine why. I mean, it's, it just rolls right off the tongue. But yeah, you, you know things are going crazy when they decide they're going. They need to kill somebody, even if it's for a good reason. This definitely takes it out of a normal Superman comic, for one thing. Especially considering it's like Perry and Jimmy that come up with the idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, which takes us to the standard nightmare, which is basically Saturn throwing anything and everything. I mean, nuclear bombs. Um. You know, talks about him just exploding on his chest, explosions exploding within his cape, just all, everything is just hitting the fan in a big, big way. And he's getting tired because he can only, he sleeps in flight one hemisphere of his brain at a time. I want to try that trick sometime. (laughs) Well, that would be cool. (laughs) You could probably get a lot more done with the one well it depends on the hemisphere that's sleeping at that time too doesn't it well yeah good point because <laughs> you're just you're at work and then all of a sudden it's like <laughs> plus doesn't isn't like one hemisphere supposed to be responsible for one half of your body and the other hemisphere is responsible for the other half so you're kind of yeah, gonna have to know how to if you're right-handed you're gonna be kind of screwed i am right-handed dang see well, that's all right, because left-hand us us left-handers would also have problems the other half of the time. You're you're a southpaw. Oh yeah. I didn't know. And now you do. And knowing is half the battle. Then we move to chapter twenty-three, the decision which you know Superman's faced with: kill Kristen Wells or fight C.W. Saturn across all time and all universe. And Superman would gladly do that rather than kill. Oh yeah. And this is another part with um, vaguely reminds me of the Thirsty Thursday because the part of Thirsty Thursday was that while everyone was sleeping, he was just in a knockout drag out fight the whole during an entire was it 24 hour period? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah they, I mean granted it's not as long but that's another one of those parallels but it it's a lot bigger deal in this than it was in Thirsty Thursday yeah this is versus the end of the world essentially <laughs> yeah. yeah everyone's gonna die of thirst or you're gonna fight the devil for you know huma- all of humanity well, well CW Saturn's existence really is upsetting the balance because he does not belong there at all and what exactly. we're what's facing is it could undo everything, literally. <laughs> uh, so of course Superman says to heck with it, and we jump back in time a few days to uh, in the next chapter, the lock, in which Superman outsmarts Lex and captures him. <laughs> wow! You kind of have to. I, I almost wanted to applaud that scene. Does your version call it the lock? Yeah. I've got it as the raped lock. Really? The what? The raped lock? R-A-P-E-D. The raped lock. 
there may be a reason that was removed. Wow, interesting. Just the lock. They took the rape out of it. Are you on? Are you looking at different editions of the book? What page are you on? That's a good question. This is page 187. Yeah. The raped lock. (laughs) This is so weird. Now we know. That's this. Um, my in, Indicia shows first printing June 1981. It doesn't say this is a first printing. I don't. Yeah, neither. Do, well, mine says first printing June 1981, but it doesn't say anything more. Oh, this is weird. Interesting. <laughs> is yours the Warner Books edition? Yeah. Christopher Reeve flying on the cover. Yeah, with the miniature set yep. all on fire. Actually, that's not the miniatures. That's the real. Now people. wait a minute. Those mine costs running. two. Mine costs two fifty. It is yours. Yeah, mine too. Okay. In my, when I told you that before, it was on the inside. Oh, okay. Cover. Someone had written it in like blue pencil, or at least it is blue now. That is weird. That we have. Weird. Well, we got rid of the rape. Um, that's good. Well, apparently, apparently that didn't pass the Warner Novel Authority, so they changed it for the. I don't know. <laughs> Weird. Uh, oh, you have to ask Elliot next time he's on the show. Now I want to see if I can get him on the show. If he's willing to sit down and talk to a guy from Georgia and a guy from Australia, certainly he'll talk from a, to a guy from Missouri. You you doubt the power of Michael Bailey? Which, since Michael Bailey's on the on the table, I do want to thank Michael Bailey for my copy of Miracle Monday. Um. I read thank the, you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. You saved this episode. Happy Miracle Monday to you, Michael. Yay. But I do like that, that Superman outsmarts Luthor. Which Lex Luthor, I'm sure, does not like. No. But it happens so fast, he doesn't even have a moment to react. But, yeah, the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about that. The, the hair in the moment. Um, 25, The Reckoning... Because Superman doesn't kill, he gets that wish I talked about. Now, the thing is, that simplifies it because he, what Superman wants is to go back to being Clark Kent. But what he can't do is go back to being Clark Kent because it would upset the nature. However, because Kristen has been there for, what, two years? Been there for a year? Um, she's She can be erased from everybody's memory to put Clark Kent back. You know what? Now that I say it out loud, it, it, rating it, it makes sense. When I describe <laughs> it, it doesn't. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound nearly as cool when you hear it out loud. No. <laughs> but it ends with everything going back to happy, 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 and uh, the day is saved. The miracle. Now, the thing that I, I it, it, that's the miracle. Nobody else remembers it. Except for now, Kristen. Um, the reason I wanted to wait till the end for this is, A, it's the last couple of pages, the final entry. And Kristen wonders if the hair that Luthor was going to hand to C.W. Saturn was the real lock of hair. Or if it was a fabricated lock of hair as he was working on. Her philosophy is it was the fake one. And she compares it to Hamlet where the hero hates his uncle. So he, but he avoids killing him while Claudius is praying because Hamlet believes anyone no matter how sinful who dies while he's praying, will go to heaven. So to avoid him going to heaven, you know, Hamlet didn't kill him. Um, So in this case, she actually thinks that there was a bit of nobility in Luthor that didn't want to see Superman actually go to hell. So he was going to, he was going to fake the lock of hair. 
I buy it. I'm wondering if since if it could also be because it wouldn't be through Lex through Lex killing him. That's also a valid reason. And I, I thought that was the rationale she was going to explain. Okay. Her, but, rationale, her rationale was there's a bit of nobility there. Yeah, because Lex generally is one of those guys that, you know, no one's killing him but me. And if you're trying to kill him, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And then <laughs> I'll kill him. So, <laughs> I mean, that goes, I mean, that's just pretty much that way across all versions of the character. So, that's, yeah. But that, that's a, that's another that's a all a valid way to look at it. Yeah, either or I can see both of them. Mm-hmm. But either way, I that would, I could still see him using the fake hair for that. That makes total sense. Yeah. Well, and plus one of the themes of Lex's character that they put throughout this is don't trust me. Mm-hmm. He, he, he would actually just tell teachers, "Don't trust me." Eventually, told he told Clark, "Don't trust me." He's an and Clark's like, "I don't." <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's an honest criminal. On ironically, I mean, he, <laughs> he did. That's what it says, and it, but it's true because he's he tells everybody, "Look, I'm going to break out," and he does. He's he's quite upfront with his his gig. <sighs> but overall, what it, what do you think? This was a really valid addition to the the Superman mythos. I think so. I think it was a pretty cool story. Um, it seems, I mean, it fits really well in with the current continuity of the time. Uh, it's a, definitely taking a topic that they had never touched upon in the Superman comics up until this point. Because even before the comics authority, they no one took they, Superman ever took on the devil. But yeah, I th- I would say it's a valid Superman story. What about you? I yeah, I mean most certainly. I uh it was a frustrating read at parts. Um <laughs> but in the in the long run, once we got there as a whole, I was completely satisfied. Mhm. I've never read anything that was completely perfect. No. So, I'll let it slide. Plus you got these cool pictures in the middle of the book. Yes, that have um, nothing to do with the story. No, but they do. They're all Superman too. Mm-hmm. There's your Terrence Stamp and your Jackie Cooper. Wow, it's kind of sad to see some of these because you have Christopher Reeve and Jackie Cooper who passed away. All right, my question for you now. This is one of the few times where we've got a Superman story where we don't have a visual in front of us of Superman. Mm-hmm. What do you picture? Jose Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. Okay, that, that's who I picture drawing is from Lois to Superman to Jimmy. It feels in my head it's it's a Jose Garcia Lopez drawing. Okay, now me, it's hard to tell. Um, for some reason, my Jimmy was a Kurt Schaffenberger Jimmy. That's um, valid. I can like see Superman that. family type thing. My low, the Lois I saw was kind of Kurt Swan. It was also kind of the, uh, I don't know, kind of, uh, Wynn Mortimer? No. Yeah. Um, if you've ever read Superman Family 200, 
Uh, yeah. I think when Mortimer does the main two, the main, the first story and the last story, which are the ones that really f- have Lois in them the most. Uh, so that's kind of what I picture for Lois. And then my Superman, I couldn't folk really pick p- pin down one. <laughs> it was just, I don't know, it's just Superman. It definitely wasn't. It definitely, I can tell you, it definitely wasn't. It wasn't Ennis. Um, no, no, it was definitely. I don't know. You know, I think I would actually be mad at you if you pictured Ed McGinnis. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it wasn't Burns, and it, it, I guess it was kind of like a amalgam, if you want to put it that way, of like Swan, Jurgens, and Lopez, maybe, hmm. with a little Perez during it. It it just kind of depends on the setting and the mood. No, that I can see. I can see that. Yeah, I I think it's funny though. Neither of us picked like we 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 weren't using real life people and actors. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, and, and that's and you would think that would be influenced by the cover and the pictures inside. I would exactly. have assumed so, but no. <laughs> I know we're sitting here. We've got all these pictures of Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder and Gene Hackman's and a few of them. But yeah, no. that's I thought that's pretty interesting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, we did pick Bronze Age people, so that makes sense. Yeah. Well, excellent. Well, well, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Um, right here. Oh, keep going. Um, <laughs> I host two podcasts. Uh, my main pod or my first podcast is Superman in the Bronze Age, which is a show all about, believe it or not, Superman during the Bronze Age. Whoa! I know it's like meta, isn't it? Uh, and that comes out every two weeks. And that's at supermaninthebronzeage.com. And each episode, except for the episodes over the next two months, because I gave him some time off to read Miracle Monday. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, J. David Weeder, who I don't know if anyone here has ever even heard of. He's a cool guy, but you know he's kind of weird. Um, he hosts Superboy in the Bronze Age, where currently he's talking all about Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. Long live the Legion. Despite yes. the fact that it just got canceled last week. <sighs> <laughs> kind of kills that, didn't it? <laughs> um, Not for me. I still love the Legion. Uh, plus bacon. And then... Um, always, I, always love bacon. Always bacon. You can't cancel bacon. No. <laughs> oh, bacon's forever. As my wife says, it's the reason I'm not a vegetarian. Um, and then... I also host Charlie's Geek Cast, which can be found at charliesgeekcast.com, which also comes out every two weeks, but it comes out in the weeks when Superman and the Bronze Age is announced. So technically, I do a weekly sh- uh, do weekly podcasting. And uh, that show, I basically just talk about whatever the heck I want. Um, usually, the first episode of the month is a comic episode where I'm ta- currently talking about uh, covering Grant Morris's run on JLA. And then the second episode of the month is a media episode where I talk about some kind of media thing that isn't comics. Uh, I've done some talk about Transformers. And lately I've been doing TV shows from the 80s. And next up, uh, not sure yet, but it'll be cool, whatever it is. Just draw it out of a hat. Yeah, exactly. And then... um. 
then you know I'm on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I'm around. Yeah, um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. You can I'm text on, me if you want. Um, I'm on. I'm on Pinterest now. Now. Uh, LinkedIn. I don't know how to use LinkedIn or Pinterest. Oh. Someday you Pinterest, should explain that to me. <laughs> Pinterest is just pictures. I've got a whole album of Superman pictures. It has an app. There's an app for that? Okay, well, i, I got to use it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it connects to your Facebook. I, 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 I'm following like a hundred and something people because I've got people on Facebook that I follow that use it. Well, and I've got a whole six followers, so I'm, I'm kicking butt. As soon as I figure out how to use it, you may have seven. <laughs> but you I may have. I may have one. Well, I'll, I'll follow you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Well, I, I want to thank you for joining me on this episode, man. This has been, this has been a lot of fun. Oh, oh, thanks for the invite. This is cool. And uh, no, uh, anytime, anytime. I've wanted to be on here forever. Oh. Uh, sorry. Well, with that bad pun, I'm going to tell everybody at home that you will find me back next Tuesday. And until then, keep on fighting the never-ending battle. Bye, everybody. Superman Forever Radio is a NatWorld production. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, where you can leave a review. The show's episodes and extended show notes are available at supermanforever.com, where episodes premiere every Sunday. Episode postings can also be found at the supermanhomepage.com and at supermanpodcastnetwork.com, where you can find a wide variety of quality Superman podcasts for your listening pleasure. And episodes are also available on Stitcher Radio. Email is always welcome. The address is mail at supermanforever.com. You can friend and follow the show at facebook.com slash supermanforeverradio. And David is also on Twitter with the handle at superdaveweeder. Weeder is spelled W-E-T-E-R. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties of DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman and all related characters are copyrighted properties of DC Comics and Warner Brothers Entertainment. All music and sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only and copyrights remain with the copyright holder. No infringement is intended. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. As always, thank you so much for listening.